The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Uh, last week we started a series in 1 John, and so if you missed that, go ahead uh, and grab that off the website, and uh, I'll hope that it would be encouraging and challenging to you at the same time. Uh, by the way, uh, today is Mike Allison's birthday. And he decided to come and play the drums for us, for the Lord. Mike, happy birthday. Um, Bill, uh, the other pastor elder here, uh, is actually in Colorado. Any Colorado fans out there? One. I didn't say Bronco fans, Colorado fans. Okay, so that's, that's a little different. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been to Colorado. Ever been to Colorado? I've never been to Colorado, uh, not that I remember or know of, uh, but I have been through Arizona, which has mountains. Not the same, he says. Okay. Uh, okay. I was in Puebla, uh, Mexico, just a couple weeks ago, and there were mountains there. Uh, And I just remember that um, we decided to do ministry in one of the mountains uh, one of the days. And so uh, we started driving. I remember my son, Dominic, uh, talking to me about this. He's like, it looks like the mountain was like so close, uh, but yet it took a long time to get there. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you've ever driving, driven through Colorado or the fake mountains of Arizona, uh, you, you, you kind of see uh, mountains. You're like, man, they're so big and they're so awesome. And you start driving toward it and you're like, why are we not there yet? Uh, because it seems so close, yet it's kind of far away. And so I remember driving and driving and driving in Puebla to get to our ministry spot, uh, this great big mountain that we were driving toward. Uh, eventually, you just uh, the mountain starts to get closer, the surroundings begin to change, and, and eventually you start driving, and all of a sudden you're like, um, are we on the mountain now? You know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden, you're, you're on it, and you're going up, and you're driving around, and the environment's changing. You're not really realizing because it's so giant, and it's so big that eventually you just kind of look around, and you're like, man, I'm, uh, I, guess, I guess we're on the mountain now. Uh, and you drive up, and you find your spot, and uh, you, you just don't really notice it, uh, but you find yourself on the, the top or on the side or the place that you need to be on the mountain. What we face today is a mountain of false theology. What we face in our culture is, is this thing that used to be so far away and we don't really realize, like, like how did we get here? We were, just, we were just kind of going and it looked like it was in the distance, but all of a sudden we find ourselves in this mountain and, and what's happened is... is uh, falseness or things that are false or lies, we begin to embrace, and all of a sudden we find ourselves living, building our house on a side of a mountain, and we're not really sure even how we got there. And it's super destructive uh, because when it comes to understanding God and when it comes to understanding sin, we're not real sure uh, where we are. We just know we're somewhere on this mountain. And so one of the things that really breaks my heart is that we've been deceived thinking that what it means to be a follower of Jesus um, has nothing to do whether we obey God's word, and it really has nothing to do if we follow Jesus or not, uh, and it doesn't really have anything to do whether we confront sin or not. 
And, and so he, here's what really, uh, really breaks my heart is that people are deceived into believing uh, that uh, there's this mountain of falsehood thinking that your assurance of salvation really has nothing to do whether you sin or not. And so basically I can just do whatever I want and God would just simply uh, tolerate me. And I don't know how we got there, but we're there. And so we've been told that saving faith is weak and it's a powerless thing, and saving faith doesn't really have the power to change us from the inside out. The saving faith in Jesus Christ doesn't really have a power to transform our lives. And so we've just bought into this lie, this mountain that we find ourselves on. And so perhaps it's maybe one of the reasons why we take sin so lightly. Maybe it's one of the reasons why there's so little brokenness over sin. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, even in the church, guys. I'm not talking about people who don't know Jesus. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't know you're dark until you come into the light. But once you come into the light, don't you think there should be some brokenness over sin? I mean, does the power of faith even have the ability to change us or transform us? Well, biblically, we would say yes. And so as I study the book of First John, I know that this false theology that says uh, I can believe in Jesus and just simply do whatever I want, uh, you, you're going to have to rip that out of the Bible if you believe that. Uh, and so here we are in First John, and we're going to start in First John chapter 1. We're going to make it through a little bit in chapter 2 today. Uh, but I want you to uh, look in First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. John says, this is the message that we've heard from him, him being Jesus. This is the message that we've heard from him and that we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And so here's the foundation of the message in 1 John. The foundation of the message is God is light. He's light. There's no darkness in him at all. God is light. And then the application of the fact that God is light is found in verses 6 and 7 where it says, uh, walk in the light. God is light. That's the foundation. So our application is walk in the light. And now the clarification comes in verse 8 where it says, confess your sins. What does it mean to walk in the light? Confess your sins. That's what it means. God is light. So walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness anymore. Walk in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? We need to confess our sins. That's what it means. But he he doesn't stop there because he starts in chapter 2. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. It's almost like like my, my beloved children, I love you. Listen to me. Don't 
don't walk in sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Walk in the light, confess your sins. Now he doesn't stop there. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And his name is, what is it? Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so listen, little children, walk in the light as he is in the light. Listen, confess your sins. Come to God. He's in the light. Don't sin. But if you do sin, you know, little children, if you do sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ. You have an advocate. If you do stumble, if you do sin, you have an advocate. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is righteous. His name is Jesus. We have an advocate before the Father. You have an all-sufficient advocate. Now, how is Christ all-sufficient to be our advocate before a just, right God? Look at it with me. Little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He, Jesus, is the propitiation. Everyone try to say that. That's a, that's a, that's a Bible school word. That's a, that's a uh, theology word, right? You don't use that in your everyday conversations. All right. Uh, I, I hope not because uh, you'd scare some people away. Uh, but it says that he is the propitiation for what? For our sins. Now, let me explain to you what that sweet little propitiation word means. All right. Propitiation means that he absorbed the wrath of God toward our sins. And so here's the deal. God is storing up wrath toward sin. Because sin separates us from God. uh, Romans says that the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Now let me explain that to you. How many of you went to work this week? Okay. Now, how many of you went to work for free this week? Okay, a couple of you. All right, so here's the deal. The rest of us went to work, and when we went to work, we were deserving of a wage. Some of you have an hourly wage. Some of you signed a contract for a yearly wage. Some of you have a wage. So I'm going to punch the clock. I'm going to work this amount of time for this wage because my work is worthy of a wage. All right? And so we work. We get a wage. You sin. You deserve something. That's death. So whether you uh, work and get $10 an hour, or $20 an hour, or, or $30,000 a year, or whatever it is that you deserve your wage, listen, you sin against a holy, right, just God, you get a wage. The wage of sin is death. And so Christ became sin. He absorbed that sin for us. So every lawless deed, every self-exalting thought, every selfish pursuing thing, action, word, anything that we've done that we pursue our own passions, or that we're ungrateful, any action apart from God is deserving of sin toward a holy, right, just God. But God pours out his wrath upon Jesus Christ for our sins. He paid the wage that we can't pay. 
And so this word propitiation is that Jesus became, he is the propitiation for all of our sins. And since he is the propitiation of our sins, he says, confess it. Can you confess your sins now? Because now there's no more wrath on you. Now there's no more punishment for you if you confess your sins and come into the light as he is in the light, walk away from that and come to him. So it's not a hostile God that we approach. It's a, it's a grace-giving God. And how do we know that? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But then there's the second part of the text. Look at it with me. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of who? The whole world. And so here's the the deal. is He says, not only is Jesus the wrath-absorbing agent for your sin, but rather, he's the wrath-absorbing agent for the whole world. And so if you received, by faith, the absorbing of wrath on Jesus Christ for you, listen, don't hog it. Share that mug. It's not just for you. It's for the whole world. This is not just good news for people who sit in church on Sunday. It's good news for the whole world. So share it. It's for the whole stinking world. And so here's the deal. Love in the same way that you've been loved. John's aim for us is to not sin. But listen, If you do sin, you have an advocate before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. And he absorbed the wrath of God for your sin. And not only for you, but rather for the whole world. And so if John's aim for us is to not sin, don't we have to know what sin is? Don't we know that's the direction that we need to walk so we know what to confess and what to walk in? Well, the best definition that I know of in this book is found in 1 John chapter 3. So uh, flip your page over to 1 John chapter 3 or take your little finger and scroll up. First John chapter 3 verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is Lawlessness. In other words, sin is man's refusal to walk by the word of God. Sin is, sin is man's refusal to not come to the word. It's, it's lawlessness. So let me put it to you this way. If the word of God says, what God has brought together, let no man separate, and we are pursuing separation, what's that called? Sin. That's what it's called. Let's not try to formulate and put a nice little bow on it. It's called sin. And so when God says, uh, put away all deceit, and we begin to practice deceit. So we distort our self-image and make us look better than we ought, or we try to put on this face, and someone says, how are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm fine. You're deceiving me. You're, you're not putting away deceit. You're not being honest with who you are. And so when it's tax time, you bring out deceit on all those forms. 
And so when we don't put away all deceit, what's that called? Sin. That's right. It's called sin. We can say that here. And, and so here, here's the deal. Uh, the Bible says that we should bring up our children in instruction to the Lord. And so you as a parent, if you don't ever talk about the Lord or instruct the scriptures to them, what's that called? Sin. That's right. That's sin. Oh, okay, here's a good one that you guys will love. Uh, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and instead we play church, what's that called? That's called Sin. And so sin is lawlessness. Anytime we walk outside God's plan for us, it's called sin. And here's the deal. Among most people, sin is discreet. We press it down. We hide it. Right? And and so what we do is we try to take our sin and put it into attractive little containers. And the container is called rationalization. We try to rationalize our sin. So God, you don't know my situation. God, you don't know my life. You don't know, my, you don't know me. And so my situation actually trumps your word. That's called sin. And so we, we try to be discreet about it, and, and we try to put it in a nice little rationalization box. But, but we've got to a point where we don't think sin is very serious. We don't think it's very harsh. We don't think it's a big deal. I mean, how many of you really weep over your sins? So rare. Despite the fact that nothing in the world is more wicked or more terrifying than sin against our Creator. Despite the fact that sin is the most destructive agent in your life and in the world, we just try to rationalize it rather than fighting against it. And so we need to consider that sin is very serious. Your sin is serious. My sin is serious. It's serious because it insults the holiness of God. And sin is serious because it belittles the suffering of Christ. Oh, my sin's not that big a deal. Christ died, guys, for that. He was brutally crushed, it says, for the sin. And so sin is serious because it insults the holiness of God and it belittles the suffering of Christ. So listen to me. A life of sin that is unhated, unassaulted, and unconquered, unrepented sin, it's serious. Not something to just rationalize. And so there's two songs that the world sings. It's the song of sin and the song of Christ. Those are the two songs. And when you find yourself in sin over and over again, you're moving to the rhythm of sin. And when you find yourself obeying the word of God and walking in the light as he is in the light, you find yourself moving to the rhythm of Christ. It's a serious thing if you look at your life and you find yourself more often than not moving to the rhythms of sin. It's serious. It's serious. And so, and so 1 John chapter 2, look at it with me. Verse 3, let's go verse 2. He is, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but sins for the whole world. And by this, we know 
that we have come to know him. Do you realize that a lifestyle of sin jeopardizes your assurance of salvation in Jesus? That when you move to that rhythm of sin, it will eventually jeopardize your assurance of salvation. Because it says in verse 3, it says, By this we know, we are assured that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. By this, walking in the light as he is in the light, as we confess our sins and we receive the fact that he is the propitiation of our sins, we walk out of darkness into light. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. Persistence in sin destroys your assurance of salvation. Now, right here, I want to press into the fact that not only is sin not taken seriously, but the fact that so many sins just simply seem to be the norm and that so many sins are so quickly to be justified and rationalized. But the fact that sin is celebrated. We celebrate it. We honor it. We lift it up. Not only is it the norm, not only do we rationalize it, but so many people celebrate sin. And we so easily approve of things. Hear me, this is not a new problem. You realize that. Uh, So flip flip over to Romans. Romans addresses it. Tells me it's not a new problem. Look at Romans chapter one. Let's just get in it. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the what? The truth. Okay, so there's the word of God and we suppress the word of God and we make our own truth. That's what we do. Verse 24. Because therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to the impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged, give me that word, the truth, the word of God, the truth about God for a lie and we began to worship and serve the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, because we suppress the truth and we say, God, I don't care about your word. I'm actually going to go the other way, which is called sin. Because they've done that, because God uh, gave them up, so God said, all right, you want to run that way? I'll allow you to run that way. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave them up to natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. Verse 28. And since 
They did not see fit to acknowledge God, but actually just do whatever they wanted and uh, exchange the truth for a lie. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. They are slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. That's the wages of sin. We know that those who practice such things deserve to die. Not only do they do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's where we're at. We celebrate it. Now, look in chapter 2. Because it's not done. Therefore, you have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges for passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We're all guilty. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Now, it's not, it's not my judgment that's coming against sin. It's God's judgment that's coming against sin. He already said the wages of sin is death. Look in verse 3. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves will somehow escape the judgment of God? Or, here's the key, do you presume on the riches and the kindness and the forbearance and the patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, let me just clarify something right here. God's kindness and God's patience and God's forbearance toward your sin is not so you can just do whatever you want to do. Don't you know that God's kindness and patience with your sin is to lead you to repentance? That's what it's for. It's not so you can just do whatever you want and just get off the hook. Don't you know that sin destroys? Don't you know that sin separates? Don't you know that sin is condemned? Don't you know that the wages of sin is death? God's patient with you so that you cannot just continue on, but rather you would come to repentance. Um, Flip over to 1 Corinthians 6. Some people say, you can't, you can't judge me. Don't judge me. It's not my judgment that you need to be worried about. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. You need to repent. I need to repent. And so here we go, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And so he says, don't you know that the unrighteous won't enter heaven? Do you not, don't, 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 don't be deceived. Listen to me. He says, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now I want to point something out to you real quick. I want you to see 
that uh, one of the highest things that we face and celebrate in our culture is that of homosexuality. But in this text, it's not separated out from the other sins. It's bowled right there in the middle. And so homosexual practice is not excluded. It's included with idolatry and adultery and stealing and greediness and drunkenness and reviling. It's all there. The focus is not also on same-sex desire. It's actually on same-sex practice. Yet currently... The most popular talked about sin in our day and age is that of homosexuality. Homosexuality is not different than the others, but today it's different because we've elevated it and we've actually celebrated it. At this moment of history, contrary to all the other sins, basically we've put it on a pedestal and we began to applaud it with great, great excitement. And so it's seen as a good thing. It's embraced as a good thing. And the point of this text is not that homosexuality condemns you. And it's not that heterosexual immorality uh, condemns you. And it's not that drunkenness condemns you. It's not that stealing condemns you. It's not that being greedy condemns you. It's not that swindling condemns you. But rather, lifestyle of sin without repentance condemns you. It all condemns you. And because today this sin more than others is celebrated, I want to be very, very clear with you on this specific thing. Those who practice and give themselves over to this life and do not repent will not see the kingdom of God. They will perish. We will perish if we do not repent. Therefore, it would actually contradict the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to approve of anything that the Bible calls sin. It would actually contradict the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ if we begin to approve of anything that the Bible calls sin, including homosexual practice. Whether that's by silence or by endorsing uh, so-called same-sex marriage or by confirming Christians, uh, uh, clergy, or ordination in the services. Listen, if you are outwardly practicing this, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you repent. Unless you walk in the light as he is in the light. Confess your sins. We must not be intimidated here. Because here's what's going to happen. The world is going to say and has been saying the opposite of what is true. The truth is is that it separates. The truth is that sin separates you from God and his wages of sin is death. They're going to say that talking about this is hateful. They're going to say, you know, when you warn people uh, uh, who practice homosexuality without repentance, when you say things that if they don't repent, they will not enter the kingdom of God is hateful. Uh, Let me tell you something. It's not hateful. It's not hateful because hate does not want people to be saved. Hate does not uh, want people to join the family. Hate does not want people to come into faith and be, be sanctified and justified through Jesus Christ. You know what hate wants to do? Hate wants to destroy. Sin destroys. 
That's the facts. That's the truth. All sin destroys. So if homosexual practice and greed and idolatry and reviling and drunkenness leads to exclusion from the kingdom of God, as the word of God says it does, then you know what love does? Love warns. Love pleads. Love Love comes with love and comes alongside and tells the person, hey, there's life forever, even for you. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God saves. The good news of the gospel and the cross is that God saves. The good news for heterosexual sinners and homosexual sinners is that God saves through Jesus Christ. And so when we come to Jesus, the Spirit of God begins to live in us and begins to form us into, into an image of God. So look, uh, uh, you should be in 1 Corinthians 6. Look at what it says. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And, and then he begins to list the things. And then in verse 11 it says, And such were some of you. Uh, okay, He's talking to the people in the church at Corinth. And actually, this list, that's you. That was some of you. And so he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of who? Jesus Christ. You were justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were cleansed by the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, and by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. This is biblical Christianity. That we were this, we walked out of darkness into light, confessed our sin. Anything that the word of God says is sin, I'm confessing that is sin, and I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. So that I know that I have assurance of salvation, that it's actually transforming me. There are Christians in church who are fornicators, who are idolaters, who are thieves, who are drunkards. There are those in the church who have practiced homosexuality, and they were not driven away. In this case, they were actually gathered in. They were gathered in because the moment they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they turn from their sin and practice and begin to repent and ask Jesus to save them. That's how they're gathered in. That's how God justifies you. That's how God justifies me. God gave them the righteousness of Christ when they walked out of the darkness into the light. That's grace. That's saying you're mine. It it says in 1 Peter, it says, Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We might die to sin that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but for the whole world, so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. So when they trusted Christ, they came to Christ. The heart of Christianity is that God saves sinners. God saves sinners through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The best news for the world is that Christ died to save those who are homosexual. Christ died to save those who are heterosexual. Christ died to save drunkards. Christ died to save swindlers like me. Christ died to save liars like me. Christ died to save sinners like me. That's the news. That's the message. That's the heart. So let let me just make no mistake about it. 
There's a number of people that are idolaters and sexual immoral who commit adultery and steal and are greedy and all these things. It happens all the time. And each of these unrepented sins all deserve wrath. But we believe with the deepest sincerity that the embrace of homosexual practice along with other sins keeps us from knowing the realities of God. Yet our society celebrates it. And so let me just tell you, we cannot be both caring and silent. If it really is destructive... Not only about one sin, but all sin. We cannot be caring and silent. Too much is at stake. It also means that we cannot only be against homosexuality. We can't only be against a same-sex marriage. But rather, we are against any sin that keeps people from the everlasting joy that is found in Christ. Yet, homosexuality gets all the press. It's elevated. It's out, it's, it's in our faces because at this cultural moment, it's the main sin that everybody endorses. The issue is sin. Sin is what we're against. Sin is what God is against. Sin is what the church must be against. So some would see this whole issue and, uh, and, and try to divide it into two sides. You know what I'm talking about? They say there's those who celebrate it and then there's those who hate it. So over here on the left, you got those who celebrate homosexuality, and then you got those who hate it. So if you don't support it, then you hate it. And if you don't hate it, then you must support it. But true followers of Jesus, hear me, don't walk either line. Hear this. You don't walk either line. True followers of Christ don't walk either path, but Christians must have something to say that no one else is saying. We must have a message that no one else can say. We must speak the truth in love to this divided confusion that we face in our world. The message is you're wrong and you're loved. You're wrong and you're so loved. You're wrong, and I love you. So we're not left, and we're not right, but right in the middle is the sweetest, deepest, most glorious words that come from the cross, the same words that brought you out of your pit of death into salvation, is that you're wrong, and you're loved. You're absolutely loved. You're wrong and you're loved. Romans 3 says you're wrong. Romans 6 says you're wrong. And Romans 5, 8 says, while you were wrong, Christ died for you. That's the message of Christians towards sin. We walk in the word. We walk in the light as he is in the light. Listen, it's destructive and you're completely loved at the same time. We have a grace-driven opportunity as the church to let the gospel shine. No one else in all of their resources can say anything but the two extremes. You're wrong, and you're left completely. We have an opportunity to reach out in grace like never before. 
1 John says that in this great love he has for his little children, he says, I'm writing this so that you will not sin because sin is serious. We have to believe it's serious. It's destructive. He says, my little children, I'm writing you so that you will not sin. And if you do sin, you have an advocate. Um, l- let, me, let me turn your attention back to 1 John. But go to 1 John 4. John believes that his words can help the church. John believes that his words can help us. 1 John 4 is how it's going to happen. Starting in verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Can you think of a more arrogant claim that John could write right there? It says, they're of the world, we're of God. Whatever we speak is true, whatever they speak is lies. Listen, if you listen to John, you listen to the truth. If you do not listen to me, you're not of the truth. Can you think of something that is more lawfully arrogant than that? I can't. I mean, he just, he just comes right out and say, listen, if you listen to what I say, you're of God. If you don't listen to me, then you're of the world. That's what he says. The ultimate spirit of truth and the ultimate spirit of error is found in the word of God. This is the height of arrogance. Unless it's true. Unless it's absolutely true. So you have to make a choice. Do you, have, do you decide that, that what John writes is true in this book? Or do you feel like he's just, just completely arrogant and off his rocker? John won't let us be fence sitters here. Listen, you, you, can't, you can't ride the fence. You can't sit on the fence. He says either you believe what I say is true or you don't and you're of the world. And so, so he says, whoever knows God listens to what I write. Whoever does not know God does not listen to what I write. I believe that this is God's word. I believe God's word is powerful. I believe God's word is creative. And I believe God's word crushes the hardness of lawlessness. I believe God's word heals the brokenhearted. I believe God's love and God's word gives us guidance into what is true so we don't find ourselves building our house on a mountain of lies. This book, it points to the one who conquered sin. It points to the one that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will confess our sins and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we read the word of God, we read about Jesus. When we meditate on the word of God, we meditate on Jesus. When we use it, the light of faith will guide our path. Don't walk in darkness. Okay, let me close with this. Sin is very serious. Don't rationalize it. Don't treat it like it's not a big deal. You have an advocate who absorbed all wrath for your sin. 
Confess it. Come into the light. Walk in the truth, and he will set you free. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Listen, and, and don't sin. Don't sin. If you do sin, don't despair. You have an advocate. His name is Jesus. Don't lose hope. Confess it. Repent. Come to faith. Cling to Jesus. And listen, no one, no one enjoys who, who honestly has received forgiveness, keeps it to themselves. It's for the whole world. It's good news for the whole world. Go walk in the light and confess your sin. Walk out of the darkness and cling to him. It cost Jesus his life. He is the propitiation. Listen to me when I tell you. You're wrong. And you're loved. You sin. And you're completely loved. Share it with the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you completely save. God, I thank you for the passage that says you were washed. You were justified. Lord, I know that there's sins in this house right now that just simply need to be confessed. Maybe we read about them today and maybe we didn't. Any, any lawlessness outside of your word is sin. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin to reveal the truth to us like you promised. That you would convict the world of sin and righteousness. That as we sit here today, we're not taking our sin lightly, rationally. Lord, let us see our sin in such a light that it is destructive. God, help me see my sin in such a light that it's serious. But Lord, as we gather in this place, let us focus on you. That you are our advocate. You became, you are the propitiation of our sins. So that when we confess our sins and walk in the light as you're in the light, You'll cleanse us. Lord, we're asking you to cleanse us. Not only cleanse us from the inside out, cleanse our conscience. As Hebrew says that, that he died once and for all time. No more sacrifice, no more offering to be made. Nothing more to bring to your throne, Lord, but acceptance and faith of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, today we put our faith in you. That you died for our sins. And it's good news for me. Can you confess today, church, that it's good news for you? It's good news for me. Let me run to you. And let me tell the world. Thank you, Jesus, for your price. I love you, Lord. Amen.